0: friends and welcome to the CU Insight Network podcast. My name is Lauren Culp. I'm the publisher and CEO at cuinsight.com. And it's my job on the show to have conversations with all of the thought leaders who get to support the credit union community. We talk and identify some of those issues that are affecting credit unions and have a discussion on some of the best practices that exist so that we can all learn from one another and improve our credit unions. My guest on today's show is Sam Brownell, the founder and CEO at CU Collaborate. I'm so excited to have him on. He has a wealth of knowledge on so many different topics, but let's just jump right into the conversation here. Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me, Lauren.
0: Awesome. Well, I'd like to start with a little bit of background on you. Most of us didn't really grow up thinking that someday we would get to work with credit unions. Uh, that wasn't that wasn't my childhood dream anyway, but it's amazing now that we're here what did you want to be growing up and what was the inspiration to found and run? So you collaborate. What did I
1: want to be when growing up? If I'm being candid, it depends on what age you asked me that question, but probably like a professional hockey player. So I had sports athletic related aspirations that I was not genetically gifted enough to realize. <laughs> <laughs> As so many people are. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. And then why I wanted to start to collaborate. That's a easier story to tell, which is I went to a small liberal arts school in Ohio called Denison University. And I did a program that is not actually a triple major, but they call it a triple major. It's like a PPE program, which is philosophy, political science and economics. And my advisor there, I would say in jest brainwashed me, but let's say opened my eyes to the world of cooperatives. And I got really excited and interested in worker cooperatives and the economic arguments for worker cooperatives and the sort of like philosophical, political, justice-related arguments for worker cooperatives. And I wrote a senior, you know, my thesis, basically like all the classes I took through college were focused on worker cooperatives and economic and social justice things around cooperatives. In my senior research, the conclusion was entrepreneurs aren't incentivized to create worker cooperatives, which now I'm living that very thing personally. But it also means there just aren't as many worker cooperatives as I wish there were out there. But there are a lot of Credit unions and uh, John Jeffries, who's now the managing partner at Callahan Associates, is also a uh, alumnus of uh, Denison. And Chris Tissue, who's actually now the CEO of CU Collaborate, got a job at Callahan Associates coming out of school, which I think he found through like the you know school job directory or whatever. I, being the person that I am, never fulfilled my math requirement. In college, so I had to take a, actually I actually transferred to NYU and then transferred back to Denison, but never filled my math requirement and needed to take it at, I did like a Georgetown summer school, you know, like intro to stats thing <laughs> to, to graduate. And then Chris was here and got me a job at Callahan Associates, worked at Callahan Associates for six years and then left and started C Fiberate.
0: What a journey. And if cooperatives are something you're really interested in, sounds like credit unions are right up your alley. Well, with everything happening in the world, we know there have been fewer conferences than normal, but let's pretend that you and I got to meet up at a conference in person. Could you give us your elevator pitch or maybe your, your long elevator ride pitch on what you Collaborate is and where you add value to credit unions?
1: Yeah. So I'm going to go down a Total cop out, but I would say we help credit unions beat banks. I That has to be my answer because we do too many different things, sort <laughs> of in different areas, and it's challenging for me to say exactly what we do. But what we're probably best known for is like field of membership expansion, CDFI certification, all things related to CDFI, low income designation attainment, sort of like regulatory optimization, is what our chief economist, Luis Topico, says we should call it. But yeah, we. Are about a 30-person, 30 30-employee 30 company now, and two-thirds of our company are either involved in software development or data analysis. And we've developed software tools and strategies that uh, allow credit unions to achieve their strategic growth goals and sort of mitigate the friction that different regulations have on their ability to have as big an impact on their communities and members' lives as possible.
0: That's wonderful. I know that sounds like something that would really resonate with a lot of credit union leaders, especially since they are so different from banks. I also want to talk about how we define success for a credit union. I know there are KPIs and different metrics, but I know you've done a lot of work around this area and you noted that we really can't overlook the social and community aspect Side of social and community impact. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and why you see credit unions playing such a critical role in this space?
1: Sure. So I think I'm going to try and answer that in sort of two first, like how would I define success for credit unions, and then separately, why I see them as a critical role. And well, yeah, I'll try and answer them one. So having worked at Callahan Associates and worked a lot with peer to peer and benchmarking and seeing credit unions, you know, what is the sort of standard would be what 10% growth, 1% ROA, a net worth of at least 7%. But let's say in the eight to 9% range seems sort of like what most people would define as success. And candidly speaking, I've always sort of struggled to reconcile that with the way I think about credit unions. You know, The easiest way for me to explain it to people is if let's say you and I, Lauren, were in a credit union that consisted of two people. And at the end of the year, the credit union made a net income of $100. And we were then given the choice of either spending that $100 to market and attract a third person to the credit union, or you and I were could each get $50 back. Sorry to say it, but I would probably vote to get $50 back. Yeah. Um, And I've always sort of struggled with the idea that, you know, why should credit unions care about growth? And I think actually only sort of recently have I really come to an answer that resonates with me anyway, which is that they, it's to sort of meet their mission and have as great a social impact on not just their members, but essentially like their field of membership on the communities that they are part of. I don't believe in growth for growth sake, even though I call us the credit union growth company, but it's really growth to maximize impact and, you know, have a positive impact in as many consumers, hopefully members lives. So I think the credit unions really need to focus on yeah, what their social impact is, quantifying that. And then I think it becomes pretty easy to justify growth because you want to have that same impact on more people's lives.
0: Absolutely. Well, historically, credit unions have really been bound to their fields of membership. And an essential component of kind of making more impact would be broadening the reach there. So I'm curious what opportunities you see for credit unions to expand that field of membership. And how hard is it to accomplish that?
1: So broadly speaking, and it it definitely varies state to state, and I could go into very long analysis for each state. But broadly speaking, the place that we're seeing the greatest sort of potential to broaden reach is through a federal multiple common bond charter and through uh, primarily underserved areas. So when you say underserved areas, generally people have thoughts about what that means. But um yeah, and I'm gonna even take a step back. So you can be a single common bond or a multiple common bond credit union. Single common bond credit would be like a single occupational common bond. So Navy Federal would be a single occupational common bond. They serve everyone basically in the DOD. And then a single associational common bond, which would be anyone who you know serves a single association. Uh, But also a community charter is a single common bond where you're serving one community, which is typically defined either as like a single political jurisdiction, which is a county, a single statistical area, uh, a rural district, but it's whatever it is, it's one community. And it would be capped at basically a potential membership of anywhere from uh, a million to 2.5 million, uh, unless you go through an open hearing process. If you serve one of a handful of Counties that a single county can have uh, over 2.5 million in, but it's basically only Harris County and Texas and then LA County. There are very few counties that individually have a population over 2.5 million. So basically, a community charter credit union is capped at 2.5 million. Multiple common bond credit unions are sort of like traditional SEG based charter, can serve an infinite number of employer groups, an infinite number of associations, um, including sort of like national associations. And then also another type of affinity is called an underserved area, which is a community affinity. So anyone who lives, works, worships, attends school, and businesses in underserved areas are would be eligible to join a credit union and has that in their field of membership. And you can have an infinite number of those, um, which means you can serve a lot of communities. And they can be you know, underserved rural districts or underserved statistical areas. And um, you can use them, fit them together to you know, cover markets. So there, there are many cases, particularly in the South, where a credit union, you really should never be community chartered because you could serve the exact same community and more through underserved areas. You could reach more people, have impact, you know, more consumers and members' lives. And that was really only made possible with the change in the field of membership rules. What was it now? Like About four years ago. And then the NCUA board recently changed one constraint on underserved areas. You need to have a qualifying service facility within it. And now co-op shared branches would meet the definition of a qualifying service facility for adding underserved areas. So it it is approaching that more serving those communities through uh, at least less capital intensive brick and mortar strategy. And you can do it more through electronic channels, which is great and will help credit unions you know, reach low income underserved communities at much greater rates than they were able to before.
0: I'm, I'm curious too from a, like a timeline perspective, is there one timeline you can say, you know, okay, it'll take 12 months or it'll take 18 months? Or is there a, a standard timeline for adjusting the field of membership? There
1: depends what you want to do. It has historically been six months. I will say the most underserved areas that the NQA approved in uh, a given year up until I think 2021 was 30. And our company alone, I believe in 2022, will submit at least 100. And I wouldn't be shocked if we submit something closer to 300. And that is extending the timeline. So we are seeing timelines of a year plus, um, which... I would love to get shorter. I think for the short-term future, I hope it doesn't get much longer than that, but it could.
0: Got it. Well, so you were talking about the community impact and the, the social impact. What, having that expanded field of membership, it obviously allows you to impact more people beyond what you were mentioning growth, just for growth sake. Do you see more opportunities out there for credit unions and serving the underserved or having that broader community impact and what would those things be? Is it Are you thinking more inclusive lending? Are you thinking better? I know, obviously, better rates and, and fees and everything like that. But are there things that you think credit unions really have an opportunity for that maybe they're not taking advantage of?
1: Yeah, so I think better underwriting. I think that there are still many credit unions. They are risk averse. They don't know how to underwrite to lower tiers of credit. And... I think quite understandably. I mean, even if we're going back to this analogy I just said, where it's like, you know, do you want us to spend money to try things out? Basically, is right. credit unions aren't generally as interested in doing that as other organizations are. They almost across the board, everyone wants to. So I think that, and who knows, it may be us, but certainly people can go in and help credit unions figure out how to responsibly lend to lower tiers of. Credit would be a great thing to happen in the industry. I also think that you're seeing this with like buy now, pay later, but also like cash flow based underwriting. I think is something where it is a a non FICO based way of lending to people with thin or no credit where you can just track their cash flow and underwrite smaller dollar loans to them. I will also say that. We are working on launching a CUSO that will make help patients who are facing unforeseen medical expenses more easily afford those. I think that there are a lot of opportunities for credit unions to align with, you know, if you think of hospitals, hospitals are very similar to credit unions. You know, many of them are not for profit. They're community organizations. Financial wellness and physical wellness are Shown to be very closely correlated. If there was the Treasury recently put out a report that showed, is all with like COVID, everyone started doing a lot of research on like how unforeseen expenses and then unforeseen medical expenses in particular impacted physical health and like the likelihood for patients to do preventative health care, whether that's seeing specialists they're supposed to see or, you know, fill prescriptions they've been prescribed, do all these things. And so, there's still a lot of room for credit unions to make meaningful partnerships within their communities and help their communities, members, consumers even more. Medical expenses is what I'm particularly passionate about, but I'm sure there are many other places where they could fit into.
0: Absolutely. Well, I want to shift gears here for a minute. You know, we've been hearing a lot about the merger and acquisition activity in the credit union industry. And I think the the stat that I saw most recently said that we dropped below 5,000 credit unions in the U.S. for the first time in a really long time. I want to talk about the concept of a de novo credit union. And so for those who haven't heard that term, what does it mean? And where are these credit unions coming from?
1: So de novo credit union is a newly chartered credit union. Uh... Birthing new credit unions, and they're coming from all over the place. So, um, I think there's at least 25 groups that are trying to charter new credit unions right now. Wow. Uh, I believe we're working already with at least five of them. And I mean, you've already sort of outlined the numbers, but consolidation. I, for a long time, I wanted to save every credit union and thought mergers just across the board were bad. I think the more I've gotten exposure to things, the more nuanced my views have become on that. I think there are cases where mergers are the responsible thing to do. But regardless, you know, continued consolidation, I think is a threat to the industry as a whole. You know, I think if there are too few credit unions, it will be harder and harder to protect the the credit union charter. And it's quite frankly just too difficult to be Everything to everyone, and so the less credit unions are there's the lesser specialization and focus, and a lot of the de novo credit unions are looking to create a financial institution that serves a certain constituency that is being neglected right now, and there wouldn't be people who are trying to charter new credit unions if that wasn't the case. you know it is a lot of work to charter new credit unions these people aren't doing it sort of like on a whim the probably at least a three year process and yeah, is a, is a labor of love. And I think that if people are going to those efforts, you should trust them that there is a need for that credit union to exist.
0: Right. Well, it's so interesting to see the, the things that are shifting in our world right now. So CU Collaborate is a, a really innovative company working with a lot of credit unions. And I'm curious from your perspective as a leader in the industry, what overall trends are you seeing for the future of financial services? And where is your focus? Where is CU Collaborate's focus when it comes to innovating to meet these challenges and to really stay relevant?
1: Oh, man. I'm seeing all sorts of innovation that I hate in some cases. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then other ones that I think are are great. It's funny, actually. So like cryptocurrency and Web3... I see basically as like Ponzi schemes. But I one thing that I find really exciting about it and that I feel like all creating people should be like really enthused about is like the grift that everyone uses to promote those is basically a sales pitch of like the credit you should be using. I don't know how much you've been like following all those things, but it's so funny how it's all about, you know, basically like ownership of the users of things. And I'm like, oh, they're just describing a credit union and people are selling a, a credit union message to, I think, actually enrich individuals. But yeah, it, it is amazing to me how much that sort of cooperative member-owned message is what resonates with young people. And fortunately, to a certain degree, I think that it kind of shows that the credit union industry as a whole has not done a great job of presenting that message to young people. I think too often we get away from that message and that it's pretty amazing to see how much that message, you know, someone else's, these groups have co-opted essentially what the credit union message should be and now have what created like a trillion dollar market cap Anyway, yeah. it, it, in some ways it should be reassuring, although I'm very worried about what it will mean when it implodes and I hope people... Call me out and can explain to me why cryptocurrency has any value. But on the other hand, I think like embedded finance, and like when I think of like where credit unions have really succeeded, I think of in particular like indirect auto lending. And that's fundamentally because like the credit union's superior rates help the merchant. And I think that credit unions should be looking for other places where what they offer aligns with whatever partner they have in accomplishing the goals of the partner. I think I've even seen this on the like employer side is I think credit have really struggled to quantify and communicate the value that they provide employers. And I think that's seen a lot of people sort of like lose employer relationships. And so I think one of the things that I've seen that credit struggle with, which I hope they can turn around is articulating what their value proposition is to constituencies and how being a true partner for them is different than just being a client of a bank. Because I think it's, it's true. And I just think that credit unions need to, as an industry, there are certainly individual credit unions to do a fantastic job of it. But as an industry, refocus on how they communicate their value proposition.
0: That's so critical for sort of the future of credit unions as they're competing with so many non-traditional financial institutions these days. And uh, really, really appreciate your insight on that. I feel like we could talk for hours about this, but as we wrap up the show here, I'd like to have some fun with rapid fire questions to let our listeners get to know you a little bit better. So the questions are rapid, but your answers don't have to be. So we will dive right in here if you are ready. I'm ready. All right. What is a recent purchase you didn't know you needed that has become something you cannot live without?
1: I'm going to answer this with a complete cop out, but I'm going to say that it's my iPhone. I actually got rid of my iPhone and got a dumb phone because I was too addicted to it and felt like I was not particularly present father and husband. And then I found out very quickly that it is basically impossible to function in society without a smartphone. Everyone expects you to have a smartphone, and it was too challenging. So I literally experienced that I basically can't function without a smartphone now, which is depressing to me, but (laughs) that's it.
0: A little side note on that. If you have an Apple Watch and you're wearing a mask, your Apple Watch can unlock your iPhone. And that has been maybe the purchase that I didn't know I needed (laughs) that I can't live without now. Not having to type in my passcode has been amazing.
1: My Um, wife has been trying to convince me to get Apple Watch because then I could just not have to pick up my phone and potentially get sucked into some other thing and just see what person's paying me right now without it spiraling out of control. (laughs) <laughs> um, so I may have to investigate the Apple Watch.
0: Yes, maybe more technology is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, when you hear the word success, who is the first person that comes to mind and why?
1: <sighs> oh, I don't know. I'm going to have to be like Tom Brady. God, I'm from Boston. But is there anyone who's been more successful than him? I'm not sure. Probably there is. Athletics is what comes to mind when I think of success, though. So. Yep. I mean, you probably would have said Michael Jordan before, but Tom Brady surpassed him. I'm a Patriots fan. I'm sorry, but yeah.
0: <laughs> All right, Tom Brady. Are you a Bucks fan too?
1: I, no, I am, a, I think like a lot of Boston sports fans, we just love Tom Brady. So like, you know, the ideal scenario is that the Patriots and the Bucks meet in the Super Bowl. And then I wouldn't be too upset with, Whoever won. That's Once Tom Brady's out of the Bucks, so though, then I don't care about that
0: <laughs> Got it. <laughs> All right. Random question for you: What are you listening to on Spotify?
1: I will be candid in saying I don't listen to a lot of music. Probably like the the XX or churches.
0: You know, we've had a couple of guests who have just gone the podcast route and said, "On podcast, the Spotify, or the on Spotify, the podcasts I listen to are these things." The podcast I was
1: previously would listen to I can't listen to like two interest the times when I have time to listen to podcasts is basically to go to sleep and they can't actually be very good or I stay awake to listen to them so I like listen to the Dan Patrick show which is good enough for me to enjoy listening to it but basically the same thing constantly so it's easy to fall asleep too
0: I love it all right well let's See here, next question. Any books that you have gifted, or I think just everyone should read.
1: So, from a business perspective, uh, Lean Startup is like the business book that I think Credit Union should, in particular, really read. I actually read it before starting my company, and then was. Unable apparently to internalize the lessons it gives you. But then as I've built the company, I've been like, oh yeah, I read about this in Lean Startup. I should have been doing this the whole time. Anyway, from like a business perspective, Lean Startup. From a personal satisfaction, I'm really into like sci-fi and fantasy and really love the expanse. And now I'm reading, and this is gonna sound weird, but the their murder bot series. But if you're into sort of sci-fi, recommend both those series.
0: Awesome. We will link to those for everyone here so they can get connected. All right, let's say the calendar is empty. What do you do to unwind outside of work?
1: This is the most depressing answer ever. And it is unfortunately the truth that if I had a week of free time completely undivided, I would just choose to work. But if I cannot do work, then it's just hanging out with my kids probably at the beach.
0: I love, I love work
1: so much. It's terrible.
0: <laughs> Maybe some of our listeners out there can relate to that one. We'll link to everything that we've talked about today in the show notes. There are so many good shout outs here. But my last question for you is any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners or final asks that you have for the audience today?
1: Yeah, I guess I'm just going to throw it out there. If anyone is listening to this and is interested in the, the medical unexpected sort of like we're focusing on really making unforeseen medical expenses uh, more uh, affordable for patients. Uh, please reach out. Yeah, I think that's my main one. The other one that I think, yeah, I'm going to throw into, but is we've come up with this formula that I'm really excited about, which we look at each individual member's product bundle and see. So we look at basically the products they have, balances, interest rates, and their credit score. And on the individual member level, benchmark that against the average rate that they would get from a bank. We partnered with uh, one of the credit bureaus. And so we can do that on an individual member level. And to the reason I bring this up was just sort of like quantifying what success for credit unions looks like. And so at first we were looking at, at that sort of like average member benefit on a person level, but then looking at that divided by income because it's very different to save, you know, someone. Who makes ten grand a year, a thousand dollars, than someone who makes a million dollars a year, a thousand dollars. So, looking at sort of member benefit divided by members' income, and trying to quantify sort of like what the value of membership in a credit union is at each individual credit union, but also across the the industry, and actually following sort of like the lean startup thing is that I've sort of come up with this with actually with Louise Tufiko and a few other people internally to collaborate. But I know a lot of different people have very different thoughts on sort of like what should be factored in when you're thinking about what the benefits are to your members and I would love people to critique that formula and give me feedback on why I'm wrong and why that doesn't capture certain things because yeah, I think the more feedback from credit unions on that the the better, but I think it's the first type of thing where I've been like, okay, here's like a formula that can be sort of standardized across credit unions and treat sort of everyone fairly. And it gets to the heart of things that I think does a good job of of quantifying what success for credit unions is. And, but I, I want people to tell me why I'm wrong.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, what a perfect way to wrap it up. We will put your contact information in the post here so that everyone who's interested can get in touch with you and your team. Thank you again, Sam, for being on the show. It's so great getting to chat with you and hopefully we'll get to maybe meet up at a conference in person sometime soon. But until then, stay well. And thanks to all of our listeners today for tuning into the C1 Sight Network podcast. We will see you next time.